It's the history of football we knows about And we want to expand what we know We'll become such intelligent gentry With every kick-to-kick show Beginning in the time 1870s Right through to the modern day Tune in for Timmy Coops and the Kazman To hear what they all have to say all right, welcome back to the Kick to Kick podcast. We're getting stuck into part two of the 1980 season, Charlie. Yes, we certainly are. A um, few juicy things to talk about, specifically Carlton's uh, messy end of 1979 and what happened with them. Yes. We'll get stuck into that. Coming up to that. Um, but before we do, a um, few things to go through. Um, we want to have a bit of a quick chat about the grand final. It's been, I mean, I know it was a week and a half it's ago. It's been and gone. A few things to discuss. Um, also, congratulations to friend of the show, Sean Manor who was named in the VFL team of the season. So. Oh, congratulations, Shawnee. He's been playing at Werribee. So. That's fantastic. So shout Great out to news him. for him. Yeah, really good. Um, so a few, a few things to, to shout out. Firstly, um, Seven AFL accidentally tweeted us during the grand final. So you might, if you're on Twitter, you might have seen us twice accidentally tweeted related to that um, the ad... Amy ad where the ball went up to the Northern Territory. Yeah, that's right. Because they were clearly just going, you know, hashtag kick to kick, but have accidentally gone at kick to kick podcast for for no reason. All about it. So, yeah, we got a few views from that. (laughs) Thank you. A few things. Firstly, Joel Selwood, Charlie, I want to ask you, where does he sit among the greats? It's a very interesting question, isn't it? Because he's been so... So good, consistently good in a great side for so long. And like he's just smashing all these records. Um, it's always hard to to, comp- to talk about someone. We've, we had this conversation about Pendlebury only recently too, mm. didn't we? Um, it's always hard to have this conversation when you're still in the midst of it, I think. Well, like, he's done. He's retired. No, but, I, but it's still, it's fresh still right in our minds. It's fresh. Yeah. And we've just watched him do all these amazing things. And yeah. so when you list off his accolades in a couple of years time it'll yeah. be like yeah wow you did all this what what's he he's like top five of the most Brownlow votes ever most finals ever played most games as captain of any side of right. any side in the afl vfl yeah um four premierships one as premiership captain yeah multiple australian runner-up in the Brownlow medal multiple yeah. kaji greaves medals and always been well respected. What, what captain? How many all? How many all Australians did you just say? Uh, you did multiple. Few, I did multiple all Australians. <laughs> yeah. He's been captain of the all Australian side as well. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I mean, he's. Got, there's not many people. I mean, the only thing he's missing is a brown, though. Yeah. Well, we came runner up. Yes. Yeah. He also got the rising star. Did he really? Yeah. In 2007, six-time all Australian, four-time most courageous player, three Kaji Greaves. Best Captain Award. Yeah, he's done, he's done a lot. Played for Premiership Australia. in his first season, Premiership in his last season. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's not many people with a longer list of achievements than Joel Selwood. It ma- made me think, you know, as he was getting up to get his medal on the day, it'd be, it would have been great to see him go again. Yeah. Like, I understand completely why he's retired. Like, he doesn't have, he d- doesn't have a reason. To continue, other than the love, love of, of the it. game, yeah, and I'm sure he still loves it. Nothing to prove, yeah, not absolutely nothing to prove. But he's he's not a guy 
where you look at him and you're like, yeah, he's he's on his last legs. He's done. No, like, not at all. He was very. I, I think in the first half of that game, he, he could have been. He, the Best Norm time. Smith could have been his. Um, obviously, when Smith started kicking goals. It sort of changed the ledger yeah. a little bit, but um, best best cats player of all time. Better than Ablett, better than Farmer, better than Hickey. Um, very hard. He's definitely on the Mount Rushmore. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, got to be. Very different players who you've just mentioned. Yeah, all I know. Of them. yeah. Um, From different eras yeah. as well. Yeah, he's on Mount Rushmore for sure, for Geelong. Okay, it's the best of his, of that crop, that 07, 9, 11 crop. Mm. He's the best of them. Okay, don't you think? From the last what sixteen years? Yeah, I mean, God, there's a lot of good players in that. Yeah, it's very hard. Mm. Yeah, it's a very interesting. Yeah, isn't it? A very interesting question. I yeah, it's it's almost impossible to compare him with. Gary Ablett Senior. Yeah. I, think. I don't think there's anyone who was more spectacular to watch play. You're not you wouldn't go as a neutral to go and watch Joel Senior. No, Sandler you wouldn't. Play. No, that's very he wasn't the draw card. Yeah. But the ultimate team player. You wouldn't I, I think if you had the choice of who you'd want in your team, you might have picked Selwood. Mm. Hard to hard to know. <laughs> Yeah, the other, good chat. The other, the other one. Yeah. The other one I wanted to use you to discuss with you was the overuse of the term "it's coming home." Oh my god, we talked about this. So obviously, from the World Cup, and England was saying this when the last World Cup was on. Yeah, you know, and they were it's up coming there. home. Yep. Which I think, like, if England, the England claim they invented soccer. association yeah. football, yep. soccer, then that makes sense. It's coming home. Yeah. Yep. It's coming back to the to the place where this game was born. Now, yep. I might be wrong about. That being made there, maybe yep. it was codified in England. Therefore, wouldn't the demons? I know Gorney said it last, last year. year. He he, he, the demons would be the only team that can then rightfully say it's that it's coming home. They're the original team. Yeah. Well, yes, I think. Um, who won the? No, well, they, you guys won the first premiership, didn't? Well, you? if we're talking the VFL, yes, yes. V, that's what I mean. VFL premiership, even though didn't win a grand final. True. But first premiership. So you can probably say it's coming home to its original home. <laughs> but then there's Collingwood people who also, like every year, I, there's, I reckon it's there's Collingwood supporters yeah. who say at the start of every year, just so if they happen to it's win it, home. they can say it. Yeah. But Collingwood are the youngest of the original yeah. eight teams. Yeah, yeah. But so I don't, think, like. I don't think Collingwood have the right to say it. No. I don't think Geelong have the right to say it either. No. I think only Melbourne really can. Well, Mel- maybe we also won the premiership in the first year. There was a premiership cup, didn't 1870, we? 1870, you won that season, yeah. In the I, first I year, they handed out the cup, I'm saying. Oh, yes, in 19, we, 1959, yeah. We John won Beckwith. that. Yeah. So the cup is, is coming home. Yeah. So the Ds do have a right to say it's coming home. Yeah, no, I'm not disputing <laughs> that. But the Cats said it. Like, they, yeah. they said it. And Look, I think it's like, I mean... If you're standing there and you hear your cap, if you see your captain hold up the cup and say it's coming home, you're going to be stoked no matter what, aren't you? Yeah. But yeah, it's definitely been overused the yeah. last couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, let's get stuck into 1980. <laughs> let's, let's travel back in time. Let's 1980, Charlie, a few things to get through. Um, do you want to just go through what we've already talked about all those, all those weeks ago now? All the, yeah, I know it was a while ago. So bottom of our ladder in 1980 was Fitzroy in 12th. In 11th, we had St Kilda, 10th, Footscray. 
Ninth Melbourne, eighth Hawthorne, seventh Essendon, sixth Melbourne, uh, sorry, sixth South Melbourne, and then in fifth spot, starting to talk about these guys, our first of our finalists is Collingwood with 14 wins, one draw and seven losses. Coached by Tommy Hafey and captained by Ray Shaw. Yeah, the first captain they'd actually had who lasted more than one season. For quite a while. For six since, years. Since Richo. Yeah. Yeah, yeah which is interesting. Mm. Um, can you tell us some famous supporters? For Collingwood? Oh, yes, I would love to. Uh, some famous Collingwood supporters. Sir Reg Ansett. <laughs> Mike Brady. Yeah, the songwriter. Of not, up there, Kazali not, not, the, not the dad from the Brady Bunch? No, funnily enough. Daryl Braithwaite. Peter Brock. Hector Crawford of Crawford Productions. <laughs> Frank and Jack Galbally. Yep. Gal- yeah. Galbally, yeah. yeah. Uh, Colleen Hewitt, the singer. Jack Thompson, the actor. And David Williamson, the playwright. Mm, that explains why he used uh, Collingwood as the team as the in, club. in the club. Yeah. Um, all right, we've got some new recruits at Collingwood. Mike Horsburgh, Russell Johnson, David Brine, Grant Wilmont, Terry Domberg, Des Herbert, Stuart Atkin, Alan Davis has come across from Essendon and Melbourne St Kilda as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so actually 10 new recruits have been brought in on big money across the last two seasons, but none of them were actually working out. As a result, there was a, you know, some storm clouds building over Hafey. He wanted these big stars. They weren't really playing well. Mm-hmm. And also a new supporter group led by Ronald McDonald uh, and including Joseph Ferren were aiming to inject some funds into the club to, inj- to attract talent. They tried to swap Renee Kink for Graham Teasdale and supposedly Billy Pickin was also dangled as some hey. trade bait. Um, now, round one... They played a game against Carlton, and the banner was quite controversial. All right, so Collingwood were ridiculing Carlton's new coach, Percy Jones, with a banner that read, Percy Jones, the mine that launched Laurendale, which is a reference to an asylum in the nearby suburb of Bandura. <laughs> wow. Mm. Um, as a result, well, not as a result, but the Pies lost that match to the Blues in a sellout match. Round two, the Pies won for the first time at Arden Street since 1973, thanks to Peter Dacos with two goals and good play around the grand, ground by Moore, Weirmouth and Olsen. Um, it was a low-scoring five-point win. Stan Magro hurt his knee and he would miss up to 12 rounds. Then losses to Hawthorne with Davis kicking eight and the Tigers followed. In the later game, fans were angry and they actually staged a, po- a passive protest. Um, well, like a sit-down. Well, they... they just, they streamed out of the Jack Ryder stand, which was known to be where the stalwarts who stayed till the end oh. sat. So oh. having them leaving during a game was a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's because they were three, one win, three losses at that stage. They were facing a fourth loss in five games, so the pressure was on when they visited the Bombers at Windy Hill. Uh, and when the Bombers' Stephen Robbins snapped the goal late, the Dons led by 16 and no one gave the Pies a chance. But they kicked three goals in the final seven minutes to win by four points. Peter Moore was good and Pickin was back in excellent form. Peter Moore giving the crowd the old double bird as he walked off. <laughs> Love that. In round six, Renee Kink kicked seven goals to sink the Saints at Victoria Park in a 10-goal win. Uh, but then they were upset by South Melbourne. They were lucky to snatch a draw in round eight against the Lions. In round nine, they set up a solid defence in a 31-point win over the Cats. Round 10, they easily accounted for the doggies at Witten Noble. Peter Dacos, however, was sent to have a knee operation following this match, and he would miss four matches. Round 11, they earned a 10-point win over the Demons with more determination, perseverance, and experience. 
They beat the Blues by just five points in round 12. Um, round 13 leading to their battle with the Ruse. The Magpies did their homework and jumped out of the blocks with three goals before the Ruse knew what had happened and never really allowed the Ruse back into the game. Ray Shaw was excellent and Brewer kicked five goals too. Uh, round 15, the Bombers led the Pies by 15 points at the last break, uh, but then seemed to cruise. Ray Shaw swung the tide for the Pies with four goals to see them home by four points. In round 16, they beat the Hawks by 22. Round 17, they smashed the Saints. Um, it was back-to-back games. The Saints had conceded 200 points. The, the Pies kicked 32 goals, 19, 211 to beat the Saints by 104 points. Ross Brewer kicked eight goals, four, and Edwards, five. Uh, in round 18, the Pies took on South in a game that would have big ramifications for the final five. The Pies shot out of the blocks with their 13 shots at goal in the, final, in the first quarter. But from their 13 shots at goal in the first quarter, they could only kick straight three times. They kicked four goals eight in the third, but luckily their defenders held the Swans to two points and they ran out con- unconvincing 33-point winners. Round 16, they played against the Lions at Victoria Park um, and the game was, quite, it was pretty quiet. It wasn't the usual raucous crowd. Until about the 25-minute mark of the final quarter when Tony Shaw emerged from the confusion of players, ran away from his own goal, snapped over his head and kicked a miraculous bouncing goal that saw the Pies hit the front for the first time. The final margin was nine points. They beat the Dogs in round 21 by 38 and then battled against Carl Ditterich in his final match of the year, winning by 58 against the Ds and the Pies finishing with 12 different goal kickers. Scraping into the finals there. It's just scraping. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so they had a few very convincing wins, though, didn't they? But it just weren't very consistent. No. Um, So the lead goal kicker down at Collingwood this year was Craig Davis with 52. And the winner of the Copeland Trophy in 1980 was Peter Moore for the second year in a row. Yeah. Yeah. So that takes us up to fourth spot where we have North Melbourne. Another year in the finals for North. Slowly sort of dropping. Mm. Very slowly, but yeah. Uh, So North had 14 wins, one draw and seven losses. Exactly the same as Collingwood, but a slightly better percentage. Captained by Wayne Schimmelbush and coached by Barras. Of course. Uh, New recruits include Michael Reeves, Mario Turco, Rodney Wright. They acquired Brian Wilson from the Bulldogs. Some famous uh, famous fans for the Some famous fans. For North, we have Bob Ansett. Yeah. So we had Reg Ansett of Collingwood. Bob Ansett of Budget Rent-A-Car. Yeah, he was appointed club's first chairman, actually. Oh, there you go. We had Ron Casey of HSV7, so Channel 7. Father Gerald Dowling. We, on met, the, on we met him. Oh, yeah. Father, of course we yeah. did. The great historian. Yeah. Yeah. What a fantastic man he was. He is. Uh, Johnny Farnham. Yep. I didn't know he was a North yeah. Melbourne man. There yeah. you go. Uh, John Gorton, the former Prime Minister. George Malaby, the actor. Frank McManus, McManus uh, the Democratic Labour Party stalwart at okay. the time, it says here. Uh, Ralph Willis, the Federal Opposition Spokesman of Economic Affairs. And Ross D. Wiley, the mm. TV host. So these were all... This is published in the paper. Yeah. So famous famous fa- fans from 1980. Yeah, we should, yeah. Say <laughs> Just that. remind us. Um, round one, the Roos were more disciplined than Essendon and beat them by 13 points. Round three, the Roos steamrolled the Lions at Junction Oval. Dempsey taking control in the ruck and Blight kicked four goals, five. Kerry Good, five goals, four in a 46-point win. 
In round five, they travelled to Sydney to take on the Doggies and they recorded their biggest ever win, kicking 26 goals, 21, 177 to the Dogs, 8 goals, 7.55, their 9 goal second quarter and 12 goal last quarter, putting the stamp on the game. Blight with five, Boys, Brightest, McCann and Murphy all with three. In round six, North held Carlton goalless while the rule, while the Roos were methodical in their style, ruthlessly kicking six goals inside 10 minutes in the third. They grab a strong win and they ran out 32-point winners. In round seven, they thumped the Demons by 87 points at Waverley. Round eight, they took on South. Uh, and the margin was never more than 14 points throughout, but the Roos did enough with their experience to win by three points. Round nine was a standard Hawthorne-North Melbourne encounter between once fierce rivals. North held sway for the most of the three quarters, led by Keith Gregg, but the Hawks came back late to only go down by five points. They were towed up by the Tigers in round 10. Um, So the following week, Daryl Sutton, who was usually a defender, went forward, and he kicked nine goals against the Saints in the the match. The Roos won by 83. Nice. Round 12 at Arden Street. Here's a game for you, Charlie. Um, absolutely dominated by Gary Dempsey in the ruck. Here's his stats. 29-point victory. He had 21 kicks, 19 handballs, so 40 possessions, 22 marks, 29 hitouts, and a goal. That, that sounds outrageous. Yeah. That, you want him as captain of your dream team that week. Oh, yeah. Um, round 15, the Roos took one quarter and 41 seconds to beat the Dogs. At a five-goal first quarter, the Roos looked the goods with their posi- their possession and precision handball, which Barassi actually said after the match was some of the best he'd ever seen. Yes, Charlie, praise from Barassi. <laughs> Within the first 41 seconds of the second quarter, Stephen McCann waltzed into an open goal against the wind, and the Dogs knew they couldn't win. Final margin was 59. In round 12, despite no banner for them, the Lions got the best of the Roos early, but led by Keith Gregg and Gary Dempsey, they responded and won by 29 points. Round 17 against Carlton North kicked 10 goals to one in the last quarter to come from 21 points down to win by 32, Reeves with five and Good with four. Uh, one of the highlights of North's five-goal win over the Demons in round 18 was Malcolm Blight's impossible goal with his left foot from the left forward pocket, one of the three he kicked for the game, and guess what Barassi did after that? Dragged him. Of course he did. For a rest, apparently. Of course he did. Um, I think it was actually because he hadn't followed team protocol and centred the ball. Centred the ball, yeah. yeah. Uh, they beat the Hawks by 56 in a lacklustre round 20 game at Waverley, but they lost their round 21 match and then drew their last match of the season. So going into finals with a bit of poor form. Yeah, not where you want to finish, is it? No. No. So uh, lead goal kicker down at North Melbourne this year was... Uh, Arnold Brightus with 53, Malcolm Blight just behind him on 44, and the Sid Barker medal in 1980 went to Keith Gregg. Yeah. Wow, okay. A year after he threatened to leave the club. Yeah, and his first BNF. Probably because he'd said, you know, don't talk to me, Brassy, just leave me alone. I'll play my game and you do your coach, yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. So moving up that ladder into third spot, we have Richmond with 16 wins, one draw and five losses. Just so many draws. Yeah. So many draws. Yeah. Um, coached by Tony Jewell and captained by Bruce Monteith. From WA. All right, oh. some new recruits in called Matthew Fall. Oh, sorry, Matthew Wall, Terry Smith, Michael Nugent and Brian Taylor. I saw this name and I was like, hang on, why aren't we talking about him already with Collingwood? But no, okay. BT, Roaming Brian. Yes. Uh, originally from Mandurah in Western Australia, uh, great full forward. He was recruited by Richmond without ever having played league football in his home state. 
He was usually referred to as either Barge, owing to his formidable 191-centimetre, 91-kilogram frame, or BT, of course. Yeah. Uh, he was unfortunate in that the Tigers already had a top-quality full forward in Michael Roach, who remained ahead of him in the pecking order throughout his five-season stint at Punt Road. So couldn't get a run at it. Mm. Very interesting. Wow, hey, boy, oh, boy. Um, <laughs> The Tigers brought in Rudy Webster, a psychologist, to help with the players' mindsets and motivation. He was a... I think he'd worked with the West Indies cricket team, actually. Okay. Um, who are some famous fans? Yes, we need to talk about that. So some famous fans down at Richmond were Sir Andrew Grimwade, the chairman of the ACI. Sir John Knott, board member of ACI. Dennis Lilly, the, the bowler. Philip Lynch, the federal minister for industry and commerce. <laughs> Russell Morris, the pop singer. John Newcomb... The, the nuke, the tennis player. Peter Nixon, the federal minister for primary industry. Uh, Tom North, the chairman of Coles. Bill Pratt, Safeway's managing director. <laughs> Coles and Safeway in there. And Lindsay Thompson. I'd love to reach out to the current heads of these places to see who they go for. Yeah. If we could recreate it. Create this <laughs> list. See who cares. Um, so last we heard at Richmond as well, KB had quit. That's right. Left off on that cliffhanger. Now, to all those Richmond supporters out there, Rich, he, he didn't leave. <laughs> I know you were yeah, worried. He, he actually considered very seriously going to either Essendon or Collingwood, and he was close to going to Collingwood, um, and he met with Tommy Hafey about it, but Tommy Hafey talked him into staying at Richmond and saying, be a one-club player. Oh. Yeah. And so he stayed at Richmond, ultimately. Um, round one, in a great game at Princess Park, the Tigers held on for a memorable four-point five-point victory the Hawks challenged until the end KB was in sparkling form with four opportunistic goals from the half-forward flank while Kershaw controlled the Rocks all day for Richmond they lost round two uh, round three for motivation they had an American daredevil by the name of Gary Wells jump the whole Richmond team on his motorbike as a publicity stunt as you do as That's you always do a good idea around this time Paul Serra was also acquired from Geelong and brought into the team uh, in round three of the game was, they played a thriller with the Saints, with tension evident throughout the last quarter. When umpire Kevin Smith gave a decision against KB, a young fan actually ran onto the field and threw his hat at the umpire. He was promptly tackled to the ground by Robert Muir oh, um, before police escorted him off. Richmond kicked a goal and a point late to snatch a draw, and the siren sounded as the ball was in the air going towards the Tigers' goals. It actually rolled off the pack and threw for a, a score, but didn't count because it had come off a, I think, a Richmond player. Already? Yeah. Yep. There's some rule about who it touches last and if it rolls through or not. Okay. So I think if it touches a St Kilda player, if they punch it through, I think it's a, a, it counts. As in if it's a player on the team? The defensive team. On the defensive I team, I think yeah. there's, there's some like... No, that's fair. That makes sense. Yeah. There's some technical little rule there. Yeah. But a Richmond player couldn't punch it through. Yeah. Um, the Tigers scored their first win over Hafey's Collingwood team with a 52-point win at Victoria Park. In round four, round five, they demoralised the Lions at the MCG. A big second quarter, eleven goals. Sorry, big third quarter, eleven goals, six to two goals, two, which saw the margin blow out to one hundred and eighteen points. Wow. Yeah, Rollings with six, Roach with five, Monteith four. Round six, sorry, the Tigers thought they were home and hose in the last quarter against the Cats, leading by eight goals, and then relaxed. But after kicking only four goals for the first three quarters, the Cats sprang to life with five goals in ten minutes. But time ran out for them. Tigers held on by eleven. Mark Lee was dominant in the ruck for the Tigers in their massive round seven win against the Dogs, while a 16-goal to seven second half saw them register a 110-point win. Roach with 11 goals in this game. 
Round eight, the Tigers embarrassed the Blues at the MCG. Kevin Bartlett was probably best on ground with seven goals, but giving him a good run for his money was Robert Wiley with 46 disposals, 33 kicks, 13 handballs in a 53-point win. Round nine was a 93-point mauling of the Demons. Round 10, they ended a six-year losing streak against the Kangaroos. Roach was a dominant force with seven goals, while Francis Burke played an exemplary game in defence, using superb judgment to break up attacks while shadowing Malcolm Blight out of the contention. Tigers by seven. Around this time, the Tigerettes were formed. Oh, yeah. Their own version of the Bluebirds, the uh, dancing group. Great. Cheerleaders. Yeah. Yeah. Round 11, the Swans looked the goods for the first two and a bit quarters against the Tigers. They hit the front but then stopped dead, and like a sleeping giant, the Tigers sprang to life and began to score goals at will, running out 53-point winners. Round 12 at the G on Queen's birthday, the Tigers put an inaccurate Hawthorne to the sword with a 20-point win, Roach with five. Against Essendon in round 13, uh, the Tigers recovered from a five-goal deficit early in the game, although their ruck combination of Lee and Rollings wasn't working. So Jewel moved Lee to centre-half forward and Rollings to the half-forward flank, and this let Cloak come into the game. He finished with five and led the Tigers to a 10-point win. Round 14, in the worst conditions of the season, the Tigers beat a desperate Collingwood at the MCG. It was the Tigers' defence and the likes of Jim Jess that set up the win. Round 16, a lazy first quarter of football by the Tigers cost them a possible VFL record score. They cracked the 200-point mark for the first time ever with a score of 34, point, uh, 30, 34 goals, 18 points, 222 to the Saints, 11 goals, 470, winning by 152 points. Oh, why couldn't they have just worked a bit harder? Uh, Roach kicked 10 goals, 4, Bartlett 6, Monte 5, uh, Robert Wiley had 37 disposals. Uh, for the record, they scored 5 goals, 3 in the first quarter and actually trailed by 10 at that break. Oh, really? Yeah. That's the biggest turnaround, surely. They'd be up there. The Tigers bounced back from the loss to the catch to, ap- to cat. The Tigers bounced back from a loss to the Cats to absolutely demolish the Dogs at Waverley. This was set up with an 11-goal opening quarter, leading by 59 points at the first break. Roach kicked another 10. Reigns, Waitman, and Wiley with 95 disposals between them. So they are dead dominating, aren't they? <laughs> Seriously. In round 20, Michael Roach equaled a 40-year record held by Jack Titus by kicking the one, his 100th goal of the season. He kicked nine of the Tigers' 26 goals in a 65-point win. Here's Michael Roach talking about kicking his 100th goal. I did get a free kick. I got a, a head-high tackle. And uh, I'd, I'd had a couple of shots early on in the quarter and missed them. And I was a fair way out, and I just had a bit of adrenaline and uh, kicked the goal. So I was very pleased. Round 21. Following the Tigers' 11-point win over North Melbourne, club vice president Graham Richmond told his charges, get ready for the most glorious six weeks of your life. Uh, this game is best remembered for Francis Burke colliding with teammate Mick Malthouse, and with blood streaming down his face, he was moved to the forward line and he kicked a memorable goal to get the Tigers back in the contest as they won this game, um, which was recreated in that um, the Toyota... Oh, the legends. Moments, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, with all the tomato force sauce on his face. That's, That's right. Yeah. Um, here's a bit of audio from that game as well. Isn't he a marvellous guy? Gully, I don't know going to see the goals. <laughs> Look at the blood just oozing out of these uh, forehead. He is a marvellous guy, and if he kicks this goal, he'd be an inspiration to the team from about uh, 15 metres out on a slight angle. Let's see what he can do with it. Definitely shifted away from fullback after getting that knock before he fires, and he's put it through for a goal, I think. Yes, a goal. What a goal. Well, he's a marvel. He's great. All right, so then, and that's the Tigers' season. That's the Tigers. Yeah, they sound 
pretty bloody strong. Very strong. Surprising that they're third. They, anyway. yeah, well, they actually lost their final game, which meant they dropped from top place. Yeah, because they had that draw. Yeah. So, yeah, interesting. Don't even really need to say it, but the lead goal scorer down... Michael Roach. <laughs> down at uh, Richmond was Disco, Michael Roach, with 112 uh, goals. Kevin Bartlett, uh, not far behind with 84. Pretty good. <laughs> not bad, right? Uh, and the Jack Dye medal in 1980 Jeff went Raines. to Jeff Raines for the second time. Yeah. Uh, so that leads us up to second spot on the ladder where we had the Blues. Carlton sitting with 17 wins, five losses. Uh, coached by Percy Jones and captained by Mike Fitzpatrick. All right. I thought we might talk about what happened at Carlton first and we might share that. So... Um, so on Monday, December 3rd, 1979, the club president, George Harris, dramatically denounced the incumbent committee for disloyalty and submitted his immediate resignation. He was confident that he had the support of the majority of Carlton members and was looking to expose his detractors to a popular vote. Um, if you remember, this was a fallout from an article that was published. You're saying he was spending club money incorrectly. Yeah, yep. Um, and he wanted to reduce the board members and have more control. So basically, he, he was saying, I'm putting my job up for... I'm going to resign and put myself back up for a vote in thinking he would get back in yep. with, an, with increased power. Yep. Yep. Um, Je- so Jezza was part of that. He said that he wouldn't continue in any capacity unless Harris was returned as president. Yep. Um, yeah, and Ian Rice was brought in to run as opposed... as Yeah, opposing the new vote. Yes, and as the new op- the yes the opposition in yes, the vote a, a yep. potential replacement president yep. um, this quickly split the club into two factions those for and those against Harris a petition calling for yet another extraordinary general meeting demanding George's reinstatement was soon circulating and it had the support of a number of club heavyweights including the much revered Alex Jezelenko of course it did um, so they would have thought it was he was a shoe in to get back in but uh, they both, they were shadow boxing a bit behind the scenes, calling for public meetings to rally support to either side of the cause uh, before both sides met in an open debate at Festival Hall on, the fe- on February 19th in 1980. That's where you're going tonight. It certainly is. Uh, so they took the stage on this hot, emotional charge night and Jezza got up. He spoke of his determination to leave Princess Park if Harris wasn't recalled again. But it was prospective new president Ian Rice who swayed the majority with his very clear explanation of the financial crisis that was facing the club. The Supreme Court ruled on which members were allowed to vote. So yeah. who had voting rights in, in this? Yeah. So when the only motion to be voted on, calling for Rice to be removed from the committee, was put to the members, Rice received 72% of the vote. So there we have it. He became the new president of Carlton, which meant that Harris had to step down and that Jezza, after putting all his support behind him, had to leave the club. Uh, it was a very tragic ending for one of the all-time greats. Yeah, that's... And interesting, because not something he probably had to get that caught up in. No, but once he threw his hat in the ring, he kind of had, had to follow through with his word, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm from, from all the stuff I've read, and there's a lot of stuff out there, the club tried to get him back, but sort of said, look, Mike Fitzpatrick's captain now. You can come back, but you won't be captain. And he's yeah. like, no, I've thrown my hat in the ring. Yeah, and good on him. Like, he's, he's stood up for what he believes in. I, it's a, it is a shame that it ended that way. Yeah. But, uh, he, yeah, he stood by his word. Yeah, and, yeah. as we talked about last strong. week, crossed yeah. to St Kilda and coached them. Yeah. 
Mm. Yeah, um, very interesting. So some new recruits at Carlton include Phil Malin, Stephen Buckley, Des English, Scotty Howe, who's actually the first third-generation player. His father, Jack Chooker Howe, played for Carlton in the 40s and 50s, and his grandfather, Jack Senior, played for South Melbourne in the 1910s. Ah. Yeah, so third-generation player. Um, Interesting. And all three of them are premiership players as well. It's not bad. Not bad. Um, Famous fans. Uh, Famous fans of Carlton were Ralph Bernardi, the Lord Mayor, Don Chip, the Senator, uh, Professor Manning Clark, the historian, of course, uh, Sir Leo Curtis, the former Lord Mayor, Malcolm Fraser, the Prime Minister, Sir Charles McGrath, the Chairman of Repco, Sir Maurice Nathan, uh, the former Lord Mayor. Oh my God, so many former Lord Mayors. <laughs> and Ian Rice, the former Melbourne City Councillor. That makes sense because he's the new president. Yeah, yeah you'd hope yeah. so. Um, one of the things Percy Jones did to, I, I guess, build Team Morale was take them to new mayor for the pre-season camp. Good place to go. Yeah, Delightful. a bit of bonding. Round one, after a very poor pre-season, Carlton will rank underdogs in the grand final replay at Victoria Park. Wayne Johnson, the dominator, was not 100% fit and Carlton were on short were unsure if he would play, but history shows he did and he was best on ground. Carlton had won this game by three-quarter time and took the foot off the pedal, allowed Collingwood to score eight goals in the last quarter. Uh, Wayne Johnson kicked seven. But yeah, good strong win against the enemy. Round two, a close five-point win over the Cats that ended with Geelong's high-flying Paul Jeffrey marking on the siren at least 70 metres out. And although he was a very big kick, he couldn't quite make the distance. Carlton winning that one, Rod Ashman best on ground. Round three was a 23-point win over the Doggies, set up in the second quarter. Bruce Dool had only five kicks for the day, but had 19 hand passes. Carlton's best player there, but he was reported for only the second time and suspended. Round four, they had a big win over the Swans and then the Demons the next week. Then inexplicably, they suffered three straight losses, including round seven's loss to Hawthorne, which saw the Blues kick 14 straight behinds in the last quarter. Could not buy a goal. Yeah. Around this time, Carlton warned St Kilda to stop poach, uh, approaching and trying to poach its players. <laughs> obviously, Jezza being over there is obviously trying hard. Jeff Southby came into the team after battling glandular fever for the first half of the year. Round nine, Carlton regained their confidence with a match-winning burst of power in the third quarter against Essendon in Sydney at the SCG. They put their game together with a nine-goal three to three-goal five third term. Once again, it was the Blues' little men who ran, ran riot and helped the win. At halftime, the Bluebirds came out for a performance but had to cut their routine short after hundreds of young spectators mobbed them at halftime. Um, round 10, they took on the Saints with new captain coach Alex Jezelenko mm-hmm. at the helm. Um, but Carlton had, and Carlton had the game taken up to them by the Saints in the first half. Dual repelled many attacks by the Saints while setting up plenty of attacking moves for the Blues. Fitzpatrick showed great leadership and he dominated the ruck and the Blues ended up winning by 42 points. Round 11, they beat the Lions by five goals. Round 12, it was a return bout against arch-rivals Collingwood. Uh, this was the round that Percy Jones officially announced his retirement as a player, although he hadn't actually played at all this season. Um, he said, if I was called upon to play now, I wouldn't do the senior team justice, so he decided not to. Yep. Um, reflecting on this game, Collingwood captain Rafe Shaw reflected as thus. The number five is seem- seemingly becoming a bit of a nightmare for Collingwood. For example, losing the 1979 grand final by five points, losing this game against Carlton by five points, having five more scoring shots than Carlton... Collingwood's quest for the five is becoming harder and harder each week. Our champion rover, Ronnie Weirmouth, was forced to leave the ground early in the match, and his number is five. Mm. The Carlton player that caused Ronnie Weirmouth to leave the ground is Ken Sheldon. He wears number five. 
Carlton's Jimmy Buckley played so well and kicked five goals. Collingwood had trouble with Carlton's five small men all day. That's very interesting. Mm. How many points did they lose the 2018 grand final by? Five. (laughs) (laughs) How many points did they lose the 1918 grand final by? Five. Yeah. Um, Many critics actually slammed Carlton for not transferring this match to the MCG or Waverley as well. So that ground rationalisation stuff is coming into play. Yeah. What because of crowd numbers and stuff yeah. like that? Like if you move those big games, you can make so much more money. Yeah. But maybe did you lose your home? Who ground was criticising it? The media. Uh, yeah, many critics. Okay. Probably the media. Yeah. Um, round fourteen, Alex Marcou was superb for Carlton's day down south Melbourne in very ordinary wet and heavy conditions. Now mid-season, the Blues, the Blues gained two hundred game demon Greg Wells. In a mid-season trade, the clubs agreed on a $70,000 fee plus Rod Ashman, but issues with Ashman's contract and his disinterest in playing for the Demons saw them change track. Um, the clubs settled for a $35,000 transfer fee. The Demons also received two players, Finn Cattaggio and Michael Young, whom they would acquire the following season. Weird. Yeah. Um, Wells' first game for his new club was against the Demons. Of course it was. Yeah, whom they beat by 29 points. Um, they had 50 more, 50% more scoring shots, but just couldn't convert. Um, but it was an easy win for the, for the Blues. Round 16, they defeated the Dogs. Uh, after a loss to North Melbourne, they rebounded against the Hawks in round 18 and basically ended the Hawks' season as a consequence. After being kept goalless in the second quarter, the Blues responded with a trademark third-quarter blitz of eight goals to one to steal a 44-point victory. Round 19 against the Tigers at Princess Park, it was Mark McClure who was best on ground with a eye-catching display in the ruck and up forward. Round 20, Carlton's small man brigade was responsible for the Blues convincing win against Essendon at Princess Park. Best was Alex Marcoux with 29 kicks in a fine display. Uh, it's the first time in Carlton's history they had had 14 goal scorers in a match. They had a regulation win over the Saints in round 21, and round 22 was a thriller against the Lions um, by four points, leading at every stage but allowing the Lions back into the game late. They kicked nine goals to the Blues, two in the last to only go down by four points. Um, Sheldon and Ashman were dominant around the ground. Mm. But for a team whose coach has gone and club is in massive upheaval, it's, yep. it's a pretty good season. Isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah, there's a lot going on. New president, new coach... No cash, apparently. They've really yeah. held it together on field. Yeah, it's impressive, annoyingly. <laughs> so the lead goal kicker down at Carlton this year was Wayne Johnston with 51, and the John Nichols medal in 1980 went to Bruce Duell for the third time. Uh, so that takes us up to the top of the ladder. Um, same place they were in this year in 2022. The Mighty Cats, Geelong. Cats, surprisingly seeing them up there as well. Yeah, it is. At at this stage, he had 17 wins, 5 losses. Uh, He's captained by Ian Ankervis and coached by Billy Doggett. Hmm. All right, so... New recruits include Zane Taylor, Dale Smith, Jan... Jan or Yarn Smith? One of those. Jan, Yarn, probably Yarn. Yarn. And Marky Yates. Tell us a bit about Marky Yates. Marky Yates. So... From West Gambia, Yates was capable of producing effective football in any key position. Real spine man. Mm. You know, he could do anything. Uh, he was most commonly used at centre-half back, though. His father, John Yates, was captain of Geelong in 1961 and 62 and played in Geelong's 1963 premiership side. He was most famously known, Mark, this is, 
for ironing out Dermot Brereton in the opening seconds of the 1989 mm. Grand Final. Yep. Absolutely. Would you like to hear of some famous Geelong supporters? You know I Dimity? would. Yes. We have Father John Brosnan, the Pentridge chaplain. <laughs> <laughs> Not just a chaplain, a Pentridge chaplain. The Pentridge chaplain. Famous Pentridge yeah. chaplain. Uh, Barry Crocker, the singer. Johnny Farnham, again. Again. Choose okay. a lane, Johnny Farnham. Yeah, seriously. Ugly Dave Gray, the TV and radio personality. Yeah. One of my favourites from Blankety Blanks. Yeah. Yeah, classic. Uh, Sir Brian Inglis, the managing director of Ford Australia, of course. <laughs> yeah, uh, has to be. Dennis Lilly, the fast bowler, again. Okay. That's weird. Okay. Someone needed to check this list, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, Daryl Summers... Uh, of Hey Hey It's Saturday, of course, and Gough Whitlam, the former Prime Minister. All right. All right. Um, the only two matches were losses to South Melbourne and Carlton, both by less than a goal. Um, we know that Paul Serra was traded to Richmond around this time as well. Uh, round three, the Cats notched their first win of the season over the Demons, although Glenn Middlemiss had a day to forget, missing his first 11 shots on goal. Oh, 11? Yep. His first goal was kicked with 10 minutes to play and it sank the Ds and pulled the Cats clear, who eventually won by 26. The start of the Cats' round four win was Sam Newman with five goals, four in the last, to help the Cats to a 37-point win. Round five, they got over the Hawks by five points to Cardinia, leading most of the day. The Hawks made them earn it in the last. Clark and Nankervis, Bruce kicked three each, while Ian was dominant around the ground. Round seven, they absorbed the Bombers' best shots in the first quarter and then took control of that match in the second half to run out 14-point winners. Round eight, Jezelenko and the Saints had no response for the Saints' third quarter attacked after an even first quarter. Middle miss didn't miss much with seven goals, Cats by 63. Round 10, Fitzroy held sway against the Cats for three quarters but couldn't stop them in a barnstorming last quarter. The Cats were all over them with eight goals to two. Clark was everywhere, uh, finishing with 33 kicks, 16 marks and 6 handballs. Cats winning by 15 points. Then they took a trick to Sydney. Round 12, they took on... Someone. <laughs> someone good. Round 12, the Saint, they took on South Melbourne. They took on the Swans in Sydney um, in front of 12,686 fans. So probably a disappointing number. Um, and they had the game well in hand early with a six-goal lead at the first break. In bleak conditions, David Clark was best of field with four in the first quarter, the final margin 63 points. Round 11 was a seesawing match against the Dogs, which they ran out 41-point winners against. Round 13, in a close game between the Blues and the Cats, where scores were never too far apart, Carlton's David Mackay kicked the goal that gave Carlton the lead over Geelong with just two minutes to play. However, Geelong's Terry Bright kicked gold almost on the siren to give the Cats a five-point victory. Round 14, the Cats completely dominated the Roos with an amazing eight straight goals in the second and in the last two and a half quarters in quagmire conditions at Cardinia. Uh, the Cats defenders held the Roos to only four goals for the whole game and none at all in the second half. It was their first win over the Roos in Geelong since 1972. Round 15, Ge uh, Jeff Slattery, who we've, we've met and, and spoken to, described the Cats' win over the Hawks in the age like this. The scoreboard at VFL Park is a lot like the Hawks at the moment. Too old, slow, and it makes mistakes. It won't follow instructions. It needs an overhaul. <laughs> The Cats beat the Hawks by 80 points at Waverley, but a scoreboard error showed the result as Geelong 417 to the Hawks 37. In this match, Terry Bright kicked seven goals. The Cats had 10 single goal scorers and was the debut of Mark Yates. 
who actually sustained a hamstring injury while executing his very first kick in league football. Oh, God. Uh, the Cats and Demons played a pretty close game in round 16. Five mon- minutes into the last quarter, Robbie Flower kicked the goal to put the Demons ahead, but the Cats soon regained the lead and made victory safe with a disputed mark. In round 17, Geelong and Richmond slugged out at the MCG in a tight contest. Um, the Cats really earned this win, which was a 17.1, that really labelled them as possible contenders. Round 18, the Bombers played a physical game, but that kind of cost them as they had some players going down. Um, they ran out, the Cats ran out 14-point winners. Cut in your park in round 20, the Pies played aggressive football and skipped to a 23-point lead early, but the Cats gathered steam in the second quarter and led by one point at half time. Blake dominated more at the centre bounces. The Cats won by three goals. Round 21 was a seesawing match at Junction Oval. The Cats were too good, though, beating the Lions by 15 points. Terry Bright with seven goals, too. And finally, the Cats beat the Dogs by 50 points at Waverley in the final round. And due to the Tigers' loss to the Swans, they actually finished on top of the ladder for the first time, I think, since 1954. So our lead goal kicker down at Geelong was Terry Bright with 59. And the Kaji Grieve medal in 1980 went to Rod Blake with Michael Turner, the runner-up. I do need to give a shout-out after reading all those leading goal kickers. Um, KB was the third highest leading goal kicker, even though he was second in his team. In the whole league? In the whole league, yeah. Yeah, it's a good stat. There's only one... uh, Who was it? Let me check. Um, yeah, Michael Moncrief at Hawthorne Hawthorn. kicked 86. Okay. But apart from him... Impressive. Had, yeah, two of the top three at the one club. Very yeah. impressive. And it does give me a great deal of pleasure to officially make the presentation and congratulations to the 1980 Brownlow medal winner, Mr. Kelvin Templeton. Um, Brownlow Downlow for 1980. Tell us. Calvin Templeton made league history when he became the first key forward to win the Brownlow medal. Um, he, gave, he gained football's most prestigious award in the last few minutes of the count to beat the big outsider Essendon sentiment Merv Nagel. Templeton was always a favourite for the medal, but there were doubts that he could win as voting needed to conclusion. Um, his medal didn't come easy. During the summer, he trained two and three times a day to put on weight and build up his strength. Um, but with coach Royce Hart at the helm, he really increased his output and had a much better season. Um, so he finished with 23 votes. Neagle, second with 20, coming in third was Rob Blake of Geelong. Um, Templeton said, after I had just a couple of votes, I thought that was the end. But the other Footscray players on my table kept saying I had a big chance. Um, and yeah, there we go. First key forward. Yeah. First of a few. Uh, yeah, of only a few though. Yeah, yeah. not really many. Cole's goals. Cole's goals um, was well, got to be Richmond. It has to be Richmond. Yeah. 397 goals. Huge. For the year. Huge. Finals. Finals. Let's talk finals. All right. Qualifying final was originally scheduled for the MCG, but it was moved to a neutral Waverley Park because uh, clubs didn't think it was fair that Richmond got to play a home final on their home ground, even though they didn't qualify for one. Fair enough. No, yeah, go for it. Sorry. Right, so Carlton Richmond, second versus third at Waverley. Um, Cloak was rested for this game, and Rowlings and Stephen Mount both had, were out with knee injuries um, for Richmond. The Tigers were harder at the contest from the first bounce, and their physicality paved the way for a resounding Tigers victory. Um, they really 
worked much harder. The Blues would kick five in the last to modify the horror in the scoreline, but it's no real avail. Um, but the, I guess the key takeaway or the, the key memory from this match is a infamous clash between Blues coach Percy Jones and Tigers coach Tony Jewell at quarter time. Really? Yeah, Jones, already furious about losing key rover Ken Sheldon due to a cowardly snipe by Graham Landy, was infuriated to see ex-Blues motivator Rudy Webster gleefully smiling at Jones as he was now working for Richmond. Big Purse took a front to this and, realized, and released a verbal barrage towards the Richmond camp. This then led to some words being exchanged and then some funny haymakers being thrown by Jewel and Jones towards each other. Uh, thankfully, none connected. More so for Jones, as Jewel would, could handle himself. Um, and it was over as quickly as it started. No one could ever criticise Perth for not wanting to stick up for his players. Um, here's some audio of Tony Jewel reflecting on this as well. Well, it sort of started just a bit before that. We got out on the ground. I think uh, Graham Landy had knocked out uh, Ken Sheldon and uh, we were walking down the race and Percy Jones saw um, Rudy Webster. And uh, I don't know if he blamed Rudy or not, but he started uh, yelling abuse at, uh, at Rudy which upset Rudy, and when I was trying to address the players at uh, quarter time, Rudy kept interrupting me, saying that Percy had called him all sorts of uh, names that he shouldn't have, which I was trying to ignore at the time. Anyway, when we broke up from quarter time, um, I saw Percy about 70 metres away <laughs> yelling obscenities of Rudy again. And uh, Rudy, again, was visibly upset, so I thought I'd take things in our own hand and started rushing towards uh, to object to his language to Rudy and um, fortunately just as I got there uh, my runner at the time Peter Grant yelled out don't do it Tony so it was, <laughs> we finished up with only a bit of a push of the shove but yeah Richmond winning up winning that match by yeah, very seven, seven goals yeah, yeah um, Carlton had were 10-14-74 to Richmond's 18-816 yeah. uh, so on the same day at the G we had North Melbourne versus Collingwood um, and Slightly closer match this one. Yeah, two evenly matched teams who went goal for goal from start to finish. Looking at the scores, they kicked the same amount of goals each in each quarter. Two goals, three goals, six goals, two goals. The game was one on behinds. Yep. The Pies kicking 20, the Roos 12. Yeah. North had a chance late to wrestle control of the match when Rodney Wright got his fourth, but Brightus and Ick missed shots on goal. The Pies winning by eight points. And knocking North out of the finals. And thus, Charlie, ending Ron Barassi's time at North Melbourne. Yes. 200 games, eight years, two premierships. Two premierships um, Their first premiership. Delivered everything he promised. Yeah. He and certainly more. did. He certainly did. So, North are out. North are out. End of the run. Uh, so, that takes us up to the semi finals. And that first one was Carlton playing Collingwood. The in early... front of 94,000 people at the MCG. Mm. Early in the game with Carlton's Mike Fitzpatrick overpowering Peter Moore at the hitouts and Greg Wells escaping far too often from the centre. Peter Dacos and Greg Wells escaping far too often from opposition centreman Peter Dacos. Kink was the Magpies sole force centre bounces and the forward line. He didn't have to worry too much about defence. The Collingwood back supplied the squeeze on the Carlton forwards, especially in the third quarter. As usual, such tense as usual, such as usual, t such tense encounters, the third term decided the game. In the first half, they slugged it out goal for goal, with the Blues having the most decisive break, 12 points at the 10-minute mark of the second quarter. Something had to give, and it was Carlton, which caved in. Collingwood drilled the ball into attack, and despite some fine defence from Jeff Southby, they were able to score six goals to two. 
There was an amazing surety in everything the Pies did, which doesn't sound like them in finals at all. No. <laughs> the knock-ons, the flicks, the handballs, and the kick to teammates had all a good quality about them. Collingwood regarded the slow plotters in comparison to Carlton sprinters also had speed. Um, they ended up winning the match by 50 points 50 quite comfortably. Points, yeah. Um, and yeah, that was... That was it. That's Carlton. That's Carlton done. Straight sets. Straight sets. So yeah, Carlton there, 15, 12, 102, nowhere near good enough for Collingwood's 22, 20, 152. Yeah, so I mean, you look at the scoring shots, that's yeah. a dominance. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and so Geelong now have to play after missing out on that first week against Richmond. Uh, so at VFL Park in front of 65,000 people. And Sam Newman's 300th game, running through the banner in his white boots. After 100 minutes of tough, aggressive and desperate football, the Tigers emerged 24-point winners and advanced to the grand final. Cats coach Bill Goggin put the win down to three reasons. Kevin Bartlett, who kicked eight goals straight for the Tigers, a PB for him. Um, mistake, eight, yeah. The mistakes the Cats made, their defence had no set pattern, defenders discarded the Geelong style of handball and kicked long to position. And finally, the umpires, which led to three Tigers goals, although the Tigers had five more frees in the Tigers. The Cats had five more threes than the Tigers. It was a bruising encounter. Bartlett and Jim Jess clashed heads. Paul Sarah had his jaw broken and Bruce Tempany was also injured. And there was also a situation where Malthouse was reported for um, hitting Sam Newman and he was reported and he was in tears after the game thinking, I'm probably going to miss a grand final. Mm. He would get off with Sam Newman claiming he couldn't remember anything. Nice. Yes. Yes. Interesting, yeah. Mm. So, as you just said, KB kicked eight out of Richmond's 14 yeah. goals. Huge. Yeah. So, Richmond 14, 11, 95. Too good for Geelong's 11, 5, 71. So, Richmond are through to that grand final. And Geelong are playing off against Collingwood now in a prelim to see if they can uh, get there after finishing hap- happily on top of the ladder. Uh, and that was at VFL Park in front of 75,000 people one week later. And Timmy, what happened there? All right. Unfortunately for the Cats, the day started off on the wrong foot with Robert Neal withdrawn from the side with a hamstring injury. John Moffat was played in the reserves despite being named. And Sam Newman was omitted also despite being named. If it wasn't bad enough, in the first quarter, the Cats lost champion fullback Gary Malarkey to a dislocated shoulder. In a torrid, tough and bruising game, the Pies, who utilised their long kicking on the Waverley ground, outplayed the fleet-footed Cats. Despite being two points down at time on in the third quarter, the Cats would allow Collingwood to boot three goals to take a 20-point lead into the last break. The Cats did rally in the final turn, booting four goals three to the Pies, one goal five. And they got within four points. However, the Pies did enough to hang on and run out three, run out four-point winners. Um, I have a little poem here, Charlie, which I'd love you to read oh, just to I'd sum up to. this match. Here we go. This is the Jeff Slattery poem. Short or long should the game be played? Give it a roost, as Tommy Hafey bade. Not for the cats, they played it around, using every inch of the great big ground. Quarter by quarter, the magpies led, and up in the stands, Geelong fans bled. A hand pass, a kick, and a goal for the pies. The Collingwood game turned statistics to lies. Still does. (laughs) 30 more times the Cats had the ball, but when the pies had it, they gave it their all. Cut out the fiddling and kick toward goal. That damn short game just destroys the soul. One last burst, the Cats did try to cut out four points. It was do or die, but the siren sounds. Geelong is done. Not Collingwood, but Hafey and the long game won. Love that. That's Mm. good. Well, uh, Jeff Slattery. And that brings us up to the grand final. It certainly does. So Collingwood played, played and won three finals straight. <coughs> Geelong knocked out in straight sets. 
after finishing on top. After Carlton finishing on top in straight of the ladder. Sets. Carlton out in straight sets, two after finishing second. It's interesting because no, in, in each of the finals so far, the bottom ranked team has won. Has won. Yep. Yeah, in no, every single one. Yep, no so team has come from fifth to win. And this is the first grand final ever where the top two teams on the ladder have not qualified. Neither of them have made yeah. it. That's very interesting. So, I mean, which was impossible in the final four system. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. But yeah, since well, since but this has been around for a while now. Since the final five, about ten yeah. years. Yeah. So we have yeah Richmond first Collingwood at the MCG on the twenty seventh of September nineteen eighty in front of one hundred thirteen thousand four hundred sixty one people. To yes. Um, television compare Ron Casey addressed the crowd pre-match and introduced a series of acts. International singer Peter Allen wearing red jeans and a red jumper bearing the insignia Advanced Australia Fair then ran onto the ground to the strains of waltzing Matilda um, the crowd was relatively hushed as he sang his big hit I Still Call Australia Home what a song um, and also this is from Andrew Baker remember his father was the goal umpire yes yep um, he just said he'd passed some, a little tidbit on to us that the two goal umpires in this grand final share the, the same surname so they had Kevin Barker, who's umpiring his fifth grand final, and Bob Barker, his second grand final. Before he goes on to host the Paris is Right in America. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but let's, uh, let's have a chat to Premiership Captain Bruce Monteith. Yes. Uh, Bruce, welcome. Richmond's newest Premiership Captain. Well, good to be here. Now, it was a long, gruelling season for the Tigers. How can you best sum it up? Well, we have had a lot of setbacks in the race towards the grand final, and the players really proved their championship class. Jimmy Jeff suffered a burst of eardrum against Geelong, and the other boys had bouts of concussion, as well as cuts and bruises galore. The team and your coach were under a lot of pressure most of last season with a lack of success and the main result of that. Uh, you've certainly proved those naysayers wrong today. We felt that too many people over-exaggerated the importance of the coaching position. At Richmond is a vital link, but in the overall scheme, he plays a relatively small part. So based off all that, it seems like the Tigers were on a bit of a mission then, this year. Look, we set out at the start of the season to prove to Bartlett and to Burke, two of our veterans and Tigers legends, that we're every bit as good as the Richmond Premiership sides 1967, 69, 73 and 74. Mate, it didn't seem easy at times. We overcame a lot of setbacks in the race towards the grand final, and the players really proved their championship card. How was the lead up to the big game this week? I thought we trained well on Monday night, and then poorly on Tuesday. But we weren't worried at all after Thursday. People say just treat it as a normal game, but that's crap, because it's not a normal game. Some handle it well, others don't. And tell us, what was the mood in the, ga in the rooms pre-game? Looking around the room before the game, into everyone's eyes, I thought to myself, you know what? Collingwood's going to have to play a pretty bloody good game to beat us. So before we get stuck into today's game, can you tell us why you were sitting on the bench for most of today's game? Look, I was carrying injuries all year, including torn ligaments in my ankle from the first game, and in the middle of the year I hurt my back and had a giant hematoma on my spine. I was getting blood drawn from that weekly. Oh, ow. that's a killer. So, mate, coming into the finals, you must have known that you would have had to make a big decision then. Exactly. As a final approach, I went to Tony and withdrew from the side. I had to do what was best for the side. It was one of the hardest decisions I've made in all my life. But I knew I'd be keeping out a fit player that the team may need in the final. Uh, so you missed the first final against Carlton, but you kept training, didn't you? Thank Christ I did. 
we had injuries out of that Carlton game. Rowling, David Cloak, Brian Wood. The pony came to me and asked if I could play. I said I would. I sat on the bench for most of the win over July. I came on late, kicked a goal, we won by 24. And you've held up okay? I did, and I trained my gaps out the following week. Uh, knowing there was a spot in the grand final on the line. Exactly. Still a risk to play in the biggest game of the year, so I wanted to be as fit as I could. I told Tony in the club it was very cool when I played or not. Man, they named you. They did. I led the team and I began the game on the bench, which I was happy to do. How did you feel facing the Pies? I know I said we weren't taking them lightly, but admittedly, I was pretty happy to be playing Tony. I thought they are probably close to the worst side in the finals race. So... Let's get into it. The match was pretty tight early on. It was. 15 minutes in, and it had been pretty much an arm wrestle. But then we started to break clear, and they just couldn't keep up. Dale Waitman kicked that first goal. Yeah, that one really set the pattern for our play today. Bringing the ball out of the fence, around the boundary, then bringing it in board once we crossed the centre line. That play got a lot of goals out there today. So a 23-point lead at quarter time, and well on top. Um, what was the team focused in the huddle? Well, every time we came into the huddle, everyone was saying, OK, score's level. Let's start again. Let's start again. And it was more of the same once that uh, second quarter started, with Cloak marking and goaling within those opening two minutes. Yeah, Cloak and Roach were a formidable twin power set today. They've been all season. So it felt that the second quarter was really when the game swung fully the Tigers' way. Yeah, about halfway through was when we were really on top. We were getting the ball quickly into our forwards, and when it came in that quickly, it made it very hard, very difficult for defenders. Now, by half-time, you'd added another 20 points, and that deficit was now sitting at 43 points for the Pies. Was there any need to tinker? What was the focus now at half-time? Get a breather. That's all it was. Get a breather. We're all in this together. Let's go. Let's keep pumping them. One might have thought the Pies would come out after half-time and be, a, you know, be full of fire, but that wasn't really the case, was it? We sensed that Collingwood would have run their race. To a certain extent, it was an anti-climax. I was expecting, you know, an absolute ferocious contest, you know, life and death stuff. Yeah, so within minutes of that third quarter, starting, Cloak had kicked his third. Then uh, Robert Wiley kicked another one from the boundary not long after. Uh, that surely um, there was now the time for you guys to revel in the knowledge that you had it won. Victory was assured. You would have thought that had happened. But to the boys' credit, their attack on the ball was just manic. Now, your back line was immense, and I suppose the third quarter where you held them to only one goal really exemplified that. The back line was working very well, led by Mick Malthouse and Francis Burke. They were desperate, desperate to play, to win at all costs, with no compromise. And they were basically a bunch of no-names, except for, say, Francis. No, so we've talked about that margin, and it blew out again to 59 now at three-quarter time. Was there any doubt in your minds that this game was done? We went in thinking it would be almost impossible for us to lose. We would have to do something drastically wrong to lose this game. But certainly none of us showed Tony what we were thinking. Otherwise we might have found ourselves sitting on the bench. So as had been the pattern in the first three quarters, the Tigers through Jim Jess got the opening goal of the quarter. Yeah, there certainly lacked that this year by that stage. I suppose I was interested in how many goals we'd win by and who would win the Norm Smith. And you, f you finally got that run in the last quarter with Dale Waitman coming off so you could take the field. The match was effectively over at quarter time. No one got injured. Everyone was playing so well. So in the end, I spent about 15 minutes on the ground. The stats show that you took a mark and had one kick and two handballs. A few touches. Yeah, just before the final siren sounded, I took a moment to reflect. I told myself, this is the penultimate moment in my football career. This is a great club and I'm so proud of myself.
I knew that in a few seconds that siren would sound and I was going to hold up the cup in the air and it's ours forever, for history. Which just meant you could be out there when the siren rang. How did you react? I think that it's just that the first reaction is relief. We won it. We played together the whole year, we trained together the whole year and as luck would have it, when that final siren went, we're out in front. It was just a load, like a load had been taken off our shoulders. Just relief that it had been done and dusted. And how does it feel beating ex-Tiger master coach and probably friend uh, Tom Haffey? Tom's a great mate to a lot of us. And if anything, I feel very sad for him. I was sure that Richard would win well before the game. We were fortunate to have seven players in our side that had played in winning grand finals. And, mate, tell us about some of the players in today's game. Let's start with Peter Welsh. Before the finals, Tony Jewell and the match committee thought that there was a role for Peter Welsh. Wilshire. With his pace, his courage, everything about him. If he's in the right frame of mind, it was just what we needed. He would have been on the best five players on the ground in each of the finals. And it was just so unbelievable. Jimmy Jess? The ghost. He was having a blinder at centre-half for Mark Lee? Mark Lee was tapping everything he could. Gave a good beating to Peter Moore. Cloak? Dominant. Roach? Dominant. Uh, what about club psychologist Rudy Webster? Rudy was terrific at helping you with control of your mind. And he had a big saying of success today at Richmond. There were guys there that went to him throughout the year. And what about today's Norm Smith medalist, KB? The thing I can remember really clearly is Kevin Bartlett running and kicking those goals. And the way he was lifting his arms and the Richmond crowd was going berserk. It was just magic. <laughs> He even gave off two handballs. His final series was just terrific. He kicked bags of goals in the final match. What was his title? 21. Yeah, there you go. Very worthy winner for today. He won, and we understand there was also a bit of a mishap on the lap of honour. Yeah, some of the guys lost their medals. They got to the end of the lap of honour, and all of a sudden, where's that cherished thing? That medal? You know that they had the security guys searching for the medal, and everyone got their medals back. Surely now with such a strong young team and a good mix of experienced players in there too, the Tigers can go on to be a real power team for the next few years. Yeah, it's a fair assessment. I can definitely see Richmond being the team of the 80s. They're more than capable of winning many more premierships in the coming years. And personally, Bruce, do you think you'll go on next year? Look, I'll get some surgery on the league to see if it comes good. Whatever happens. I've had a great six years at this club. Mate, I hope the surgery goes really well. Uh, we look forward to getting, um, getting you back there next year. Thanks for taking us some time to chat with us today. Thanks, fellas. Oh, uh, yeah, tell us the final score. Uh, Richmond, 23-21, 159 to Collingwood's 9-24-78. Richmond winning by 81 points. There's no uh, not collie wobbles in all. Well, there is collie wobbles in that, but it's not the traditional. No, let's get in front and then lose it. Yeah, like they, yeah. they've completely lost that. Just, yeah. And look, to be fair, they've come from fifth. Yeah. They've won. They've they've beaten everyone in front of them the last three weeks. They've probably run their race up to this stage. Yeah. yeah. It's not surprising. Lovely. All right. Some stats from that game. We've got Richmond uh, goals for Richmond. Bartlett 7, Cloak 6, Wiley 3, Roach, Keane 2, Waitman, Jesson, Rollins 1 each for Collingwood, Pickin 3, Davis 2, Singles to Moore, Olsen, Shaw and Weirmouth. Best for Richmond, Bartlett, Rainsley, Wiley, Cloak, I mean everyone, yep. basically. Yeah. Um, loser medals were handed out in that grand final as well. Uh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, 
During the sec during the first quarter of the grand final, Richmond became the first side to score three thousand points in one season. Wow. Yeah. Big. Um, and the grand final was played with the last one played with the old MCG scoreboard. That was given to Manica Oval in 1982 after the MCG installed a new colour video scoreboard. And apparently that's still there at Manica Oval today. Bring it back. Ha! Um, a few weeks later, Kevin Bartlett captained the Big Vita victory against South Australia in the state of origin, and they won by 17 points. And I also liked that the, uh, the term magcries was used in the age <laughs> in some articles. Um, other results around, uh, we've got in reserves, Geelong defeating... South Melbourne, 159-126. Richmond defeating Fitzroy on the under-19s. The McClellan, the McClellan Trophy going to Geelong. Yes, of course. Top of the ladder even and winning the reserves. Makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Let's wrap up the 1980 VFL season. Let's do it. Let's do it. So, Premiership. Premiership went to Richmond, of course. Um, the Brownlow medal. The Brownlow Medal this year went to um, Kelvin Templeton. Yeah, and the Bulldogs. Yeah. Um, Coleman. The Coleman went to uh, Roach uh, with 112. Michael Roach. 107 across the season. The season yeah. itself, yeah. Wooden Spoon. The Wooden Spoon went to Fitzroy. Oh, claiming only their fifth. It's not bad considering their they haven't won a premiership since the 40s. Their first spoon since 66. Um, so some of my other little stats here. Most points was Kevin Bartlett with 60. Highest score was Richmond. 34 goals, 18, 222. Mm-hmm. Rookie of the year. I'll give it to Melbourne this year. Tony Elshaw of Melbourne just edging out Peter Dacos of the Magpies. Oh. Mark of the year was taken by Graham Teasdale, taking a marvellous mark over Collingwood's Billy Picken. Goal of the year was Michael Turner. Geelong, he had three. Not blighty. Not blighty, no. Yeah. He was dragged for that. Michael Turner, three bounces, one balk from the wing and a shot from 50. Nice. Yeah. Um, all right. So that premiership list, Charlie. Collingwood with 13. Carlton, 12. Essendon, 12. Melbourne, 12. Richmond, 10. Fitzroy, 8. Geelong, 6. Hawthorne, 4. South Melbourne, 3. North Melbourne, 2. Footscray, 1. St Kilda, 1. There you go. And I'll let you choose the best name as well. Oh, please. Let me just pass this little list over to you. All right. We've got... Uh... Oh, there's some good ones here. I think it's got to be Victor Hugo. Victor Hugo. I mean, After two first ri- names is a ripper. And also, I mean, he's taken some time off from writing Lamies mm. and... Uh, a few others. Um, retirees include Carl Diderich, 285 games for Melbourne and St Kilda. Reported 18 times. Guilty 11. Missed 30 games. Jim O'Day of St Kilda, 167 games. Sam Newman, 300 games. Larry Donoghue, 105 games. John Rantel, 336 games for South, North and Fitzroy. He also won a flag. Max Richardson of Collingwood and Fitzroy, 241 games. Andrew Ireland of Collingwood, 110 games. Les Thompson, Len Thompson, Collingwood, South Melbourne and Fitzroy, 301 games. Robert Walls, Carlton Fitzroy, 259 games, three flags. Ken Fletcher, 264 games. Graham Bond of Richmond and St Kilda. Bruce Monteith of Richmond, going out in style with a flag, captaining a flag. Yeah. Uh, 118 games. Ricky Quaid of South Melbourne, 164 games. Bob Beecroft, Fitzroy, McNoland, 
from North Melbourne, Michael Woolner from Geelong and a few games for Collingwood, Alan Davis, St Kilda, Melbourne, Essendon, Collingwood, Paul Callery, Melbourne, St Kilda and South Melbourne, 182 games, and John Murphy, Fitzroy and South Melbourne and North Melbourne, 246 games. So some some big players leaving yeah. in 1980. Feels like the, end, like the beginning of a new era. It is. Almost. The 80s. And look, as Bruce Monteith said, Richmond are set to dominate the 80s. They've got yeah, such a young team. It's going to be great. Nothing's going to go wrong. <laughs> Nothing could possibly go wrong. <laughs> Charlie, I've got a treat in store for the 1981 episode. Oh, I can't wait. 1981, we can get properly stuck into the 80s. We can. Oh, it's an, ex- it's an exciting time. Mm, and we'll, we will have a Sydney Swan special coming up as well. Of course. Of There's course. A lot to cover there. Uh, well, until 1981, hooroo. To find out more about the Kick to Kick team and the sources we use, visit our website, www.kicktokickpodcast.com. You can contact us via email at kicktokickpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram under at kicktokickpod. Thanks so much for listening.